All right, good to, good to see everyone. I assume you all uh, got a booklet as you uh, came in. And in fact, uh, might just mention a few things about the booklet. The booklet has the first six uh, outlines for the first six classes, at least the first six classes that we will do. So here's the big challenge. Can you bring your booklet back every week? So there, there's, there's your big challenge. Now, uh, I have never taught a class in my entire life where everybody was able to do that. Uh, so, you know, you might figure out a mechanism by which you can uh, do that and uh, bring that back uh, with you so that you have it available and you're not sitting there because this is a hands-on class. This is not like I'm not lecturing and we're, this is workshop type of thing and you need your sheet and you need writing material and there will even be one class, at least one class, maybe two, in which you will need colored pencils. Uh, not yet. Uh, that will come about a little bit later. Uh, you can always use a colored pencil though, you know. <laughs> At any rate, that's what you have to be prepared for. Try your best to uh, bring, your, bring your booklet back and, uh, and we will go from there. Uh, let's, let's begin our class prayer. Our dear Father, thank you so much for uh, providing this evening with us and this time together. We, we truly love to be together and, and enjoy worshiping you together. And we thank you so much for that. Please open our eyes and our minds so we can see the wonderful things that are in your word and help us to be able to learn how to seek you and learn from you in a better way so that we can love you more deeply. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, tonight, uh, we're, we're just going to start with some introductory material. Usually, I do this class in about five lessons. And... Uh, I am glad, and it's, it's a tight fit, and there's so many other things to talk about with Bible study. So fortunately, we have many more weeks to do that, so the lesson we have today is, a, is, is a more introductory than what I would, might ordinarily do. So we're going to talk tonight then about what are the things that we need to learn from Jesus about our Bible study, about how we should approach our Bible study. And a lot of these things, certainly we're going to know a lot of these things mentally, but the challenge is always reminding ourselves of it and then getting, it, getting ourselves involved in it so we actually act upon it. One of the first things that comes to my mind is that there are a lot of things that hinder Christians and all people from doing the kind of Bible study they ought to do. And, and uh, this starts out usually very young, and a lot of times it continues uh, for quite some time. And the very first hindrance that comes to my mind is a lack of confidence in being able to understand the Scriptures. And the reason that comes to mind is because that's me. When I started in school, I had trouble in first grade. You know, okay? So <laughs> kindergarten was a snap. That was no problem. First grade became... A, a challenge, and it was a challenge all the way through college uh, without a confidence that I could learn. And I don't know where I lost that confidence or where I didn't get that confidence or whatever. I can tell you that my mom and dad just sent me to school. 
and expected that it would, I would get it by osmosis, which caused me that when I started studying the Bible, I really wanted to not only know how to do it myself, so I was eager and excited about it and could enjoy it, uh, but so that I could help others because I've constantly run into Christians who struggle with it. Um, many of the kids here at Woodland Hills and just any church, many of them struggle silently about being able to learn and being able to find Bible study exciting. And so as parents or grandparents, this is an important thing to help get them involved in that. It takes practice. I practiced and practiced and practiced to learn how to learn. And uh, that, that's, that's where we're going to go uh, today. So first off, a lack of confidence in being able to understand. Before we look at 2 Peter 3.16, can anybody just think of some of the reasons just socially, uh, culturally, that people in general, outside the church especially, people in general, uh, are afraid of Bible study and don't think they can understand it. Can you think of some things? What? Okay, the language is, is dated and, uh, and often different to them. Even, you know, they, and that's what they're, <laughs> you bring something up because a lot of people have what kind of Bible, they have a King James Bible at home. And, and that's what they've always had. And while there's nothing wrong with the King James Bible, if you can understand King James English, then that's great. I grew up King James English. I love it. I can understand it. But uh, a person born in the year 2000 uh, couldn't get heads or tails of it. And that's a, that's a struggle. It's, a, it's just difficult uh, for them. At any rate, so there's that problem. What are you going to say, Wayne? And I relate that to kids eating green vegetables. You never know if you're going to like it until you try it. Just don't say anything in somebody else. Now, where would people get the idea that they can't understand the Bible? Now, they, didn't, they weren't born with it. Where did they get it? Part of the cultural influence is that we have a clergy and a laity. There you go. That's right. And the, and the clergy, they all agree, right? Yeah. No, they don't agree. So then you get this 10 times worse argument you think. Well, if they don't even agree, how am I supposed to understand? So you see, the devil has done a great job in just blowing people's minds and making them feel like they can't understand those things. If you grew up in the pew, in the church, uh, in a church, whatever, and uh, you went to Bible class, and kids in the Bible class, uh, many kids in the Bible class were real prepared and knew the answers, and you didn't, what kind of conclusion would you draw? I, 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 I can't do it. They can do it. I can't do it. There's a reason I wasn't a chemistry major. Uh, first chemistry tag class I got, and I, I couldn't get heads or tail of it, and the teacher stunk. And, uh, you know, and I just went, well, there's one thing I'm never doing, and I'm not going to take another chemistry class if I have to. <laughs> I'm a dummy when it comes to chemistry. Now, I know now that if I had a different approach, and I was, people gave me some confidence, a teacher gave me confidence I could understand it, I, I think I could understand it. 
but there's a point in life that you don't, you don't get there. So the worst thing, and I, now I'm talking, of course, again, parents, grandparents, the worst thing can happen to your kids is that, that they feel like they're a dummy in the class. And how are you going to keep them from doing that? How are you going to keep your kid from being a dummy in their Bible class back there? You're going to study at home with them. That's exactly right. That's the only way it's going to happen. And you're not going to do it real fast. You're going to sit down in a quiet time where they're not in a hurry to go someplace and they don't have a TV program they want to watch and they don't have this and that. You can sit down and actually have a good, regular, one-on-one -on -one time with them where you're not going, answer the question. Answer the, well, the question's right. The answer's right. No, have a conceptual conversation where they're learning it so that when they walk into Bible class, they're never feeling like they're a dummy. Because if they feel like they're a dummy when they're young, what's going to happen when they're old? Yeah, there's a good chance they're just going to dump it. When kids get, get um, excited about anything, generally, and, and, and adults too, is the interest that they have in the intriguing stories. Right. And knowing how things link up, how God shows us himself mm -hmm. always. Yeah, and, and this, uh, you bring up something that's very, very important. It's a reason I've always called this series Enjoy Your Bible. Uh, I've, I've really never called it uh, uh, How to Study the Bible. <laughs> I've always got to enjoy your Bible because the key to the series is learning to enjoy doing it. What happens when there's something you do that you enjoy? What do you automatically do? You do it more. <laughs> You, you can't wait till you get to do it again. The moment I learned to enjoy Bible study 52 years ago is what changed me for the next 52 years, and I still enjoy it. So this is the one thing you can never get tired of. That's the cool thing about Bible study. There's a lot of activities I've gotten tired of and I just don't do anymore, or I got too old to do it. But uh, that it, 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 there's all kinds of things like that. But Bible study is not one of them. Knowing God is never, never gets old. And that's what we want to infuse in everyone. We want to get that in our hearts and our minds. And, you know, you don't want to, I mean, I don't care how old you are, what your age is. You don't want to right now feel like, well, boy, that's me. I'm, I'm the dummy. And, well, you, you may feel that way at the moment, but that can change. Please, please take away the negativity uh, we're going to look at some things and some ways and some tools that are going to make it exciting for you. And when you enjoy it, that's when you're going to do it. I'm going to never forget when I was 24 years old, I had been a preacher two years and I'd never walked out of the office. I mean, I literally stopped exercising practically. And I went to the doctor for a checkup and I said, man, my feet are always cold and this and he said, will you any exercise? I said, no. And he says, okay, look, if you're going to make it, in life, you've got to get some exercise. And he said, I want you to every day find something to do to get your heart rate up over 120 for 30 minutes. And it has to be something you enjoy. And I said, why does that have to be something I enjoy? Because if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to keep doing it. And I went, bingo. That's Bible study. If you don't enjoy it, it's anything. If you don't enjoy it, you're not going to keep doing it. So that, that's what we want to learn here. Take a look at, in 2 Peter 3.16. Take a look in 3. Uh, somebody read for me 2 Peter 3, verse 15 and 16. 
our Lord of salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also read you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. Okay, what did Peter just tell us about Paul's writings? Yeah, there's some things that are hard to understand. All right. So the Bible tells us plainly there are parts of it that are hard to understand. Um, Paul, in the Corinthian letter, talked about there's milk of the word and there's meat in the word. So there's some things for beginners and there's some things that go from beginner to gradually growing, just like a child would, to the point where they're eating solid food. Uh, it is interesting that uh, Paul, to the Corinthians, who had only been Christians three years, rebuked them for not getting to the meat by that time. Well, yeah, I think, uh, I, I'm like, well, show, well, I, I, I thought 10 years or something like that. No, three years. You should, have, you should have gotten to the point where you weren't just milk drinkers and that you were, you were better at that. But there is a difference. So there, there are some, there's some positive things here about that. If you're a new Bible student, it is easy to get frustrated that when you're reading, you run into passage after passage after passage. You go, I don't know what that means. I don't understand that. And then that's, that can discourage you and, and it can make you stop. So the answer to that is to accept the fact you're not dumb you're just new. Just like you're not going to spank a six-month-year-old because they're not eating your steak. You know, it just doesn't work that way. They need to learn to grow more and be able to do that. So there's a process. It takes some time. We're going to talk about more of how to accomplish that. But we don't want to get, we never want to think it's just impossible for us or get a, get a negative uh, attitude about psych yourself out, like, oh no, this is just impossible for me, I'm just too dumb. You're not, you're not. Because what happens when we think we're too dumb to understand God's word? What have we just said to God? You didn't do a very good job. That's right. Either with my brain <laughs> or with how you wrote this. One of the two did not match up. And that's not fair. Because everybody here remembers God speaking to Moses. And Moses, Moses said, well, you know, just I, you can't send me. I can't speak well. And the Lord's answer was, who made your mouth? <laughs> you blaming me? I made your mouth. <laughs> oh, what a conversation. I hope that's on video. We get to heaven. I like to, like to see that video. And, and take, I'd like to see the look on Moses' face too, kid. In the first place, the Bible is a very large, long book. In the second place, uh, much of it is antiquated, very antiquated. A lot of it is uh, very important. <laughs> there you go. So it's big. It's antiquated. It's about something that is thousands of years old, and it's boring. And whose fault is that? That's, that's my fault. I, I've approached it incorrectly. Because again, 
I'm blaming God. You wrote a book thousands of years ago that you expect to still be up to date today, and I just don't know that it is, and you also uh, wrote, wrote a book that, uh, uh, goodness, it's just, uh, it, it, it's boring, and it's big, and it's long, and, and all of those things. Yeah, all those things. We're going to address some of those questions. Not all of them tonight, but we're going to address some of those questions. All right, look, here's Jesus' answer. Look over in Luke. Here's one of the answers that Jesus gives about b being able to actually understand the Scripture. So Luke chapter 11 and somebody read for me verses 9 through 13. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What's, uh, what's interesting about verse 13? What's kind of surprising compared to any other accounts? Give the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Luke's the only one that says that. All the other ones say give good gifts. He says give the Holy Spirit. What's the primary thing that the Holy Spirit did? He revealed the word. And, and so here he's telling us, here's a promise. Verse 9, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. What do you think I'm here for as your father? So starting right out, I need to understand that I can understand this. Number one, God wrote it so that I can. And number two, he said that if I ask and I seek and I knock, he will answer. So there's, there's, a, there's prayer that has to come along with that. Um, I believe it's Psalm 119, verse 18, where he's, he, the psalmist uh, prays, Open my eyes, Lord, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. There's a request. Open my eyes. James says, seek wisdom. A lot of the wisdom we learn is from the scriptures, obviously. So we need to always be asking and praying. Prayer and Bible study are like a marriage. They, they ought to be just hand in hand at all times. Uh, most fun about Bible study is talking to God while you're studying as you're telling him how amazed you are at what you just learned and how wonderful he is for teaching you that. And, and just you have this communication like uh, he's just sitting there with you and you're going through this and you're talking to him while you're doing it. And it really keeps you engaged, I think, with God. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. is a real direct statement. Verses 3 and 4. Someone read that. So Paul said, I wrote it down, the mystery. Well, I wrote it down, and when you read it, you can do what? 
ESV says perceive. I think the King James, New King James, which I really like their translation on that, says you can understand. You can understand what, what, I, what I have written to you. Paul's writing to a whole church at Ephesus, and there were no exceptions. Everybody can read it and understand it. So I wrote it. Don't blame me, Paul said. I wrote it so you can understand it. If you'll read it, you can understand it. Turn to chapter 5, and somebody read verse 15 through 17. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand will the Lord. Alright, you notice he directly says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. But right before that, he talks about some of the things that are necessary. Be careful how you walk. Don't walk as unwise. Make the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Those things are really important to understanding the scriptures. If you're not walking in wisdom, that is going to affect how you study. If you're living foolishly in your life, it's going to affect how you study because you start learning things, but your brain is, as Paul accused the Corinthians of, carnal. You're a natural man. You're not thinking spiritually. And if you don't think spiritually, the Word of God is going to just bounce off your brain like wayside ground. It's not going to penetrate. There's a lot to be said about where our minds are, where our lifestyle is, whether we're redeeming the time, whether we're making the best use of our time. We're really focused on where we need to be going. If we're not focused and our focus is on earthly things, it's going to be very difficult to understand the Bible. That's just, just the way it is. You have to really want it. So that's, that's part of it. We'll see a little bit more than that in, in a minute. Uh, any comments on that? Yeah. If you relate that to a diet, if someone was told by a doctor, you're going to die if you keep eating what you're eating. Um, so if you're, I'm going to give you some instructions, read these, follow the instructions. If, if you keep eating what you're eating while you're reading those instructions, you're going to keep saying, this doesn't make any sense. That's right. That's right. I've mentioned before uh, uh, a gal over at the Brentwood Church, she's, she's a heart doctor and, and uh, I mentioned something like that from the pulpit about uh, uh, people who have had bypass operations uh, tend not to follow the diet they're given afterwards. And she came to me and she says, that is so right. She says, I will sit down with somebody and tell them, your arteries are going to re-clog within five years if you keep eating Kentucky Fried Chicken and all this other stuff. And uh, you have to stop. And she says, almost never do they change their diet. And I, I see them again in five years or dead, almost never. And that it has to do with just really accepting what is truly good food. And now I'm talking spiritual food. Am I going to consume the world's food and then wonder why I'm not excited about the scriptures? Then I'm really being foolish. What do you expect? If I'm going to always consume uh, the stuff that I want to consume, you know, uh, chocolate cake, dad is great. He gives us chocolate cake. It's got eggs and flour and, and who cares what else and I'm eating it for breakfast. If that's the way I'm going to live, I'm going to suffer the consequences of not liking asparagus. 
That's just the, the way it's going to work out. So anyway, there's a lot of good things there. Look over at chapter 4 of Mark, verse 19. Mark 4, verse 19. Excuse me, Mark 4, 33. I didn't hit that. I skipped Mark 4, 33 and 34. Somebody read that for us. What's interesting about verse 33? What he says there. As they were able to hear it. He recognized that the multitudes were not able to hear what he needed to tell them about the kingdom. And so he would speak to them in stories like babies, like infants trying to get them to get a taste of what they should be seeing. And, and it, it's really kind of sad to see that. Then he'd go into the house and he'd explain to everything to the disciples. Again, reemphasizing that there's a lot to attitude, mental attitude, mental approach to the Scriptures. We're going to see in a minute what's wrong with these people, but for right now, we're seeing something's not quite right with them not being able to hear what he's saying, and therefore he has to speak in parables, and yet he can just tell the disciples plainly, which, of course, they're Galileans. They never went to school. Uh, they're mocked because they're dumb. It'll, it, that is, educationally. And yet they can understand it fine. So that's, that's an interesting contrast. There isn't. By the way, this is at the conclusion of the parable of the, of the sower, and, uh, and the mustard seed, as you can see, seed growing secretly. Oh, what was, what's the main message of the parable of the sower? What would you say the main message is? What kind of soil are you? Which is depended on what? On what did he say at the end? Let him who... I didn't hear you. Yeah, he has an ear to hear, let him hear. It's about hearers. You're either a hearer that it just goes in one ear out the other, or you're a hearer that gets excited about it briefly, and then, you know, when things get a little tough, then you just dump it. Or you're a hearer that lets the cares of the world leak in, or you're a hearer that actually produces fruit. And everybody's one of those. You can choose not to be one of those and be another, but everybody's one of those. And so he's talking about hearing all the way through here and how that hearing takes place. All right, now go over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10 through 12. Somebody read that for me. 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12. Right. Read verse 9 through 12. I'm sorry, I should have had 9 there. What's the central problem 
with these, these people uh, who are going to, God is going to send them a strong delusion. They're going to be deceived. They're going to be condemned. What's their central problem in this? And love the truth so as to be saved. Again, we're dealing with where's the desire. So, you know, I, I, if, if I'm reading this as somebody who might say to myself right now, well, and I can remember saying this to myself, well, I don't really have much desire right now. I really don't want to. I like what I'm doing. So there's a, there's a problem with me at that particular point. Um, can you identify the problem? <laughs> I'm deceived, that's right. But I knew full well. I wasn't deceived about anything. I knew where I was headed. What's my problem that I don't want to? What do you say? It's a hard problem. What's the What's the problem of my heart? Led by your own lust. That's right. I have desires that are stronger. I have these other desires that are stronger than desires for God. So I have to do some real introspection, which I did, and have to start asking some serious questions. Where is the life I'm living right now? Where is it going to end up? Those desires are going to get old and talk about boring. They're going to get boring. And learning that they were unfulfilling and finding out my problem was is that my desires weren't strong enough. You've pretty, got pretty bad desires if you're just tickled to death with the dumb things that uh, is offered in the flesh because it just appears and gone, appears and gone. It's like Ecclesiastes. It's vanity of vanities over and over again. Well, you, you know, you, to continue to do that the rest of your life, you're dumb as a post. What are you doing that for? You know, you're not going anywhere except disappointing yourself now and disappointing yourself in eternity. That's just all there is to it. People, isn't there another choice? No, there's not another choice. <laughs> uh, that's the way God created you. So that, that's it. So a really strong uh, deal there. And Mark 4.19, I think, helps that while you're here in Mark or you come back to Mark where you were in Thessalonians. Mark 4, verse 19. Notice in the parable of the sower, the interpretation of the parable, the, uh, the ones that are sown among the thorns, they are those, he says in verse 18, who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So again, what's happening here? What's keeping them? It's desires for other things entering in. But it's not just desires for other things entering in. What else is it? What's deceitful about riches? Or possessions, would it? Yeah, it's a false security. You somehow think it's going to give you something that it is impossible to give. It's not going to fulfill you. It's not going to make some huge difference in your life as far as your inner being is concerned. It's just going to be another thing. And... As this, as uh, proverb says, it will eventually sprout wings, and 
<laughs> fly away. <laughs> That's just, just the way it is. So the root cause here is just, again, where are our desires? And the desires have to change. The, there's only one way I know to change desires, and Wayne indicated it. You're going to have to try it. It's like a kid who says, I don't like, well, I will never forget my mom helped, helped raise uh, a fifth child in our family. And when he first came to live with us, when he was about six years old, we had spaghetti and he sat at the table and he says, I don't eat red stuff. And uh, there were four other kids, of course, at the table, uh, me and my brother and two sisters. And we almost fell off the chair laughing. It was like, you don't eat red stuff. Then guess what? You won't eat. <laughs> this is all we have. And we'll be lucky tomorrow if we have macaroni because we're broke. <laughs> you better be. Pretty soon he started eating red stuff because he got hungry. Well, it's just, that's the thing. You, you, if you want to live, you have to start tasting it. Now, the cool thing about God's spiritual food is there any chance that you wouldn't like it if you tried it? Is there any chance that he didn't make good food? No, there is no chance. So if there's any problem with it, it's your own stubbornness. That's all there is to it. It's your own desires that are keeping you from that. Never forget trying to talk a person out of their adulterous situation looked at me and go, well, it's easy for you not to participate in that stuff, but I don't feel like doing what you do living as a Christian. I don't feel like it. I feel like doing what I'm doing. Okay. Well, guess what God says about I don't feel about, feel like it. He doesn't care about your feelings. He's asking you to change. And you have the ability to change the way you think. But as I mentioned can't remember if this is a sermon I haven't preached yet to you that I was supposed to preach Sunday. I don't know. But anyway, I, I think I said it a couple weeks ago. Act yourself into a new way of feeling. That's what Colossians chapter 3 says in so many words. He said, stop that and replace it with this. The more you stop doing what's wrong, it's like when I've counseled uh, a a. a a couple who's in an affair. Well, you know, we really love each other and all this. Don't ever speak to each other again. See each other being in the same room with each other. Make a phone call with each other. Stop any contact with them whatsoever and spend all your time with your spouse. And guess what will happen? You'll get over it. You'll get over it. Determined to do what's right. God says, prove me. Test me. Can't he? Yes. That word, That's right. Same thing. Same thing. They may say it was That's right. Right. We we live in a society nowadays that everything is how I'm identify myself. That is the devil's workshop. Because as soon as I say, well, this is who I am, then I have no responsibility whatsoever to do anything different than who I've decided to be. And it is absolutely the 
dumbest thing I have ever heard in my life. You will be an utter failure, whether you're talking about gender or just talking about life in general. You will be an utter failure when you just say, who I am right now is who I will always be. Well, boy, don't marry that person. That will be no fun. <laughs> don't even be their friend because that'll be no fun. That's right. The one that drives me wild is when somebody just does something so stupid and then they explain it by saying, well, it's just me. It's just me. I know. It's like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I killed that person. It's just me. You know, that's what it is. Look at Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah chapter 29. Probably most of you remember uh, maybe this text. Uh, I've mentioned it a few times before, but boy, is it important to have uh, before us because it gets rid of those uh, crazy thoughts that I can't. Isaiah 29, uh, let's begin at verse, uh, verse 9. Isaiah says, Astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, the prophets, and cover your heads, the seers. And you might wonder, what's that, what does that mean? Well, in other words, God has been preaching to them for so long through the prophets and the seers that they've just become more and more dull. Do you remember a New Testament group that Paul, not Paul, but uh, the writer wrote to and said, you're dull of hearing? Who was that? Can't go to heaven if you don't know this. Who did he call dull of hearing for the time you ought to be teachers, but you are you need someone to teach you? Book of Hebrews, chapter five. For the time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to still teach you. It'd been years, twenty-five years, thirty years since they'd become Christians. And they'd become dull of hearing and needed to hear the milk all over again. Which put me on a, a little <laughs> um, pulpit right now where I just fed up with so many preachers who do nothing but tell you the milk all the time. And it is ruinous. And people get so accustomed to it that they cannot... They cannot tolerate any other part of the word that has meat to it. <laughs> it's just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Well, this was different. They've heard the prophets for so long that they just hear them and their eyes start blinking as soon as the prophet starts to speak. And you can just imagine Isaiah standing in the marketplace and trying to tell them about how destruction is coming and how this and that. And they're walking by going, <laughs> get out, shut up, I can't stand it. <laughs> well, I was just thinking about how they train police forces become. They put them at a barn and they, they play. Explosions and stuff like that. <laughs> to the point that they just. Yeah, yeah. That's, right. that's, right. And that's, 
That's what people do when they don't see the end's goal. Look at the rest of this text. Verse 11, uh, he says, And the vision of all this has, be has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to the one who can read, saying, Read this, he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. And when you give it to one who cannot read, saying, Read this, he says, I cannot. Okay, wh what's the problem be with handing a scroll to somebody and sealed, and the person says, I, I, I can't read it, it's, it's sealed. What's the problem with that? What's his problem? He's not very motivated. Yeah, because what's it take to break a seal? It's, it's just a wax thing. You just, you, it's like, I can't. It's, the envelopes have been licked and, and, and closed, and I can't open it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Or, well, read this. Well, I can't read. What's the problem with that person? That sounds like a pretty good reason. Yeah, somebody can read it to you. As a matter of fact, most of the populace in those days could not read. They had to find somebody to read it to them, whether it was a letter or whatever it was. That was common. So again, it's laziness. It's not all it is. It's just laziness. In fact, they read. The, the Bible was read to them. Sure. Absolutely. In fact, they, the way they passed it down was they memorized what was read to them and then they gave it to somebody yeah, else. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, it was a talent. Uh, something that, that that's the way they learned. Uh, piece of tabernacles, they would open the Bible and, and uh, they would read the words of the law to the whole congregation. So those were important things. Let's quickly notice one final thing here in Matthew chapter uh, 13. And Matthew, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 10, right after the parable of the sower, Matthew 13, 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you had it been given to know the, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he has abundance from, who, from uh, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away from him. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And they, then he quotes Isaiah's prophecy. What was the problem here? The problem was he spoke these parables to thousands of people, turned, can you imagine listening to the parable of the sower and then five other, four other parables? And then he, he doesn't tell the answer and he just turns around and walks in the house and waits. And the disciples walk in and go, why do you speak to them in parables? To you it's given, to them it's not. What was the problem? They weren't curious. That's right. They weren't curious enough to walk in the house and say, what does that mean? That's why he did the parable. He's weeding out those who want it compared to those who don't care that much. What does that tell us about our study? Be curious. We're going to emphasize this a lot. You have to ask questions when you read. Ask, ask, ask. Who, what, when, where, how, why, how come? What is this? I, when I'm preparing 
to teach or when I'm preparing just to learn, I am always, even if it has nothing to do with what I'm going to preach or teach, I run into something I don't know. Everything has to come to a halt. I stop and go and I research until I find an answer because it drives me crazy. I have to know the answer. I think this is a learning opportunity. I found something I don't know. I have to stop and discover because what happens if I don't stop and discover at that moment? Gotta forget it. That's right. I'm gonna forget it. Thank you. We'll go from there next week. You did great.